marked by their priorities. The mission of a group drives their priorities, and their priorities leave a mark on how they are perceived by the world. Let me share a couple of examples with you. Recently, I had a conversation with my neighbors whose girls were in the Girl Scouts. They're still in the Girl Scouts. Uh, now, the first thing, what is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the Girl Scouts? Well, I don't know about you, <laughs> but I think of those delicious, those wallet-draining Girl Scout cookies. Now, what they do with the proceeds is up to each troop. And so the sale of those cookies help uh, each troop fund them to do whatever they want. If they want a trip to Europe, they better get busy in selling them. If they want to just go to a trip to a, one of the Smithsonian museums in D.C., they can slack off a little bit. Well, essentially, through those cookie sales, the Girl Scouts learn budgeting, uh, good citizenship, planning, and enjoying the rewards of their hard work. Essentially, one can say that a mark of the Girl Scouts is business acumen through cookie sales. Another example of a group that has a very clear mark is the game of rugby. Now, most of you don't know this, but I uh, played half a season when I was in college of rugby. And I say half because I ended up tearing my hamstring halfway into the season, uh, and that pretty much ended my rugby career. And most of my teammates were tough guys that, that played football in high school, and rugby was a way for them to continue to play a full-contact sport, which is one of the reasons why I played. But sadly, the game of rugby is associated with heavy drinking, so much so that the motto at the school for the rugby team was, our drinking team has a rugby problem. <laughs> the drinking culture was not something I participated in, but if you ask anyone who is familiar with the game, they'll confirm that there is heavy alcohol abuse with the most teams in rugby. You can say that heavy drinking is a mark of the rugby culture. But what about us? When people hear Cornerstone Evangelical Free Church, what is the first trait that comes to mind? What is the mark of our church? How we are known to the world is important because that mark is closely tied to our identity and our priorities. See, we claim that we are a gospel-preaching church and we proclaim Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we obey His commands to accomplish the mission of making disciples. But what does that look like to the rest of the world? How are we known? Do they see us as a people that come together on Sundays to hear TED Talk-like speeches about Jesus? Do they view us as religious people who are very spiritual? Or do they assume that we are rich and successful based on the cars that they see in our parking lot. Sadly, since the inception of the church in the first century, the track record for local churches of representing the true values that Christ called his churches to represent have not been so great. Throughout church history, local churches have been characterized by misguided priorities, many of which were not good in the sight of God. We see some of the first century churches in Revelation 2 and 3 that were marked by unfaithfulness, false teaching, sexual immorality, and spiritual apathy. And I'm afraid that some of these faulty marks of the church still remain today. We have churches in America 
marked by similar qualities like unfaithfulness, false teaching, tolerance of immorality, and spiritual apathy. So what should be the mark and the identity as a body of Christ? Well, this morning in our passage, I want to show you one of these first century churches that had misguided priorities. And by learning from their history, we get an insight into the highest priority that we are commanded to display as a church. And this is the mark which we as a church today must display to the rest of the world. And that mark is love. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13, if we're not already there. We're going to be in the first three verses. And this is a prologue to Paul's famous hymn of love, where Paul defines what agape, this agape love is, or unconditional and sacrificial love. Now, to help us understand the context of this letter, the church in Corinth was a church that had a lot of problems. And it baffles my mind when I see churches use that name, actually. There are churches named after the Corinthian church today, like the Corinthian Baptist Church or Corinthian Christian Church. It makes you wonder if they read Paul's letters to the Corinthians. Because <laughs> the first century Corinthians, they got most things wrong. They were plagued with division, sexual immorality, selfishness, pride, and most importantly, they lacked love. Paul instructed them in chapter 12 that the various gifts of the Spirit that were given to the church for the benefit of fellow members, see, but then when these gifts were used to seek their own glory and pursue their personal agendas, they missed God's intended purpose for these gifts. Not only that, but since these gifts were not accompanied by love, they had no value. The missing ingredient in their understanding of the gospel, was love. As a parent of young children, April and I, we celebrate a lot of birthdays. Uh, we celebrate at least three, if not more. And at every birthday celebration in America, there is a birthday cake. The cake is to be shared with everyone present to enjoy and celebrate the birthday with love. But imagine if the birthday kid ate the whole cake by himself. You would say, that kid missed the point. He is selfish. Where is the love? And where is the cake? <laughs> See, the point of a birthday cake is to be eaten together for everyone's benefit and enjoyment. And a birthday cake is to be, or birthday is to be celebrated in love. See, that is what was going on in Corinth like a child who selfishly ate the whole cake by himself. The members of the Corinthian church were selfishly seeking their own purpose in their use of the spiritual gifts, and they were doing it without love. Essentially, this was Paul's message to the Corinthian church in this passage. Gospel without love is no gospel at all. See, gospel without love is dead. Gospel without love is dead. Because love is the key that turns on the gospel engine to fire up the local church to live out the gospel. No love, no gospel. The Corinthian church had missed the point. The church sought to display certain traits through misguided priorities without love. 
Paul addresses three of these qualities in this passage this morning. They are powerful speech, spiritual prowess, and perceived philanthropy. Powerful speech, spiritual prowess, and perceived philanthropy. So here in this passage, based on the context of the previous chapter on how the Corinthians were misusing their gifts, Paul uses conditional statements of if A, then B, to both describe their misguided priorities and to emphasize the virtue of love. So let's look at these traits and see where they miss the mark. Join me in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Here we see the first misguided trait the church sought to display, and that is powerful speech. The Greek influence in the Roman Empire caused many to be enamored, enamored by excellence in rhetoric or persuasive speech. It was an art that many sought to master, and which was displayed through public speech to persuade an audience through logic, passion, and presence. These are the principles that Aristotle termed logos, pathos, and ethos. So it's possible that this is what Paul was referring to as tongues of men, a gifted speaker whose rhetoric had power and influence. When he wrote tongues of angels, he likely had in mind the Pentecost recorded for us in Acts chapter 2, where their speech was heard in many languages as the divine Holy Spirit enabled them. Acts 2.6, we read, When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. But here's the point of Paul's argument. You can be the greatest public speaker or you can have the best preacher in the world. You can know all the languages of the world and have all the translations. And you can even be the most influential, highest paid, keynote speaker. But if you don't have love, you are, like a, you are nothing but noise. Like a clanging gong and cymbals. Obnoxious noise at best. If you think influential and eloquent speech is a mark a church must prioritize to display, then you miss the point. If you think hiring and displaying a famous preacher before the world, the best speaker that your money can bring, then you miss the mark as a local church. This was a misguided priority which the Corinthian church sought, but without the most important value, which is love. Paul goes on in verse 2 and describes the next misguided priority. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Here Paul addresses their second misguided priority they sought to display, that is spiritual prowess. We have two of the gifts of the Spirit mentioned here from Paul's list in chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. And that is prophecy and faith. Simply put, prophecy is speaking God's words on his behalf. The prophets of the Old Testament were tapped by God himself to speak on his behalf. The words to speak were given to them by God himself. And that's why when they declared God's words, they were able to say, Thus saith the Lord. 
when a preacher here proclaims God's revealed word from Scripture, there is a sense that is proclaimed from the, what, is, what is being proclaimed from the pulpit is a prophecy of forth-telling God's word, since we are able to say, thus saith the Lord, for this is the word of God. So the Corinthians were able to boast and say, we have God's words, for God himself has revealed to us who uh, he is, so we are special for having his word. And this was in a culture that where gods and the goddesses kept hidden and they did not reveal themselves to the people. Not only this, but the Corinthian believers were pridefully claiming God's power and saying, God has given us his, uh, his faith for us to accomplish miracles. You see, they indeed recognized that faith was the instrument that connected a believer to tap into the power of God. Faith functions as a superglue that unites the broken believers back into its rightful place, who is the all-powerful creator of the universe. But the way that the church in Corinth was using these gifts was selfish, boastful, and without love. If it's spiritual prowess you seek to display to the world, then it is true that there is no greater power than God. But the display of all that power and knowledge is nothing without love. Like a child who brags about his new toy, yet is unwilling to share, the Corinthian church boastfully displayed these gifts without love. The final misguided mark displayed by the church is given to us in verse 3. And it is perceived philanthropy or perceived generosity. They sought to display success and sacrificial generosity for the sake of showing the world how good they were. Now, depending on your translation, there will be some discrepancy on the wording of this verse. This is because depending on what Greek manuscript or the manuscripts that the translators use as their primary document, the word that the manuscripts contained in this verse is either boast or burned, as the NIV would translate in flames. The difference between these two words in the Greek is just one letter. Kalthesomai, to burn, and kalkesomai, which is to boast. There is stronger manuscriptual evidence that shows that the original word was likely to boast. And if you'd like to get into the weeds of the textual criticism of uh, the, the different texts used for the different, um, different translations, I or John would love to talk to you afterwards and we can geek out on that. But regardless of this discrepancy, we can still ascertain the meaning of this verse with a high degree of certainty. And this, it doesn't change the way the, the theological significance is given to us in what Paul was trying to say. The main idea conveyed here is that you can sacrifice yourself even to martyrdom to be burned in order for you to look good to others or boast. But if you have no love, it means nothing. Perhaps they admired Paul's sacrificial lifestyle and wanted to display such courage before the world as he did. Listen to some of the hardships that he went through noted for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, 
have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open seas. I have been constantly on the move. And the list goes on and on and on. Paul was a man who knew what it meant to give his body as a sacrifice. But he knew that if all of those actions were without love, that he was nothing. None of it mattered without love. Because the gospel without love is dead. I want us to carefully consider Paul's statement here in this passage. Though the circumstances as he described were that of the, the Corinthian church, the principle of love applies to all churches in history, including us today here at Cornerstone. Paul's concern for the Corinthian believers was the display of their false conception and misguided understanding of living out their faith in Christ. More than ever before in the history of the church, as the world around is getting colder and colder spiritually, we must listen to Paul's instructions and have a proper understanding of what it means to live out our faith in love. Maybe for us today, we may desire to display the best preaching in Northern Virginia, but if this desire is not driven by love, we are nothing but noise. Maybe for us, we may desire to have the best biblical knowledge or host the, the most number of Bible studies of any churches here in Northern Virginia, from C.S. Lewis Institute to Bible Study Fellowship to precept studies, or that we have the best youth group and the best children's group here of any church in the area. But if this desire is not driven by love, we are nothing. Maybe for us... We desire to be one of the most generous churches in giving for a church our size or have the greatest percentage of giving of any churches around the area for missions. But if our giving is without love, it profits us nothing. Notice that all of these things I listed are good things. They are good. The traits Paul listed are also good qualities. These are priorities that we want to keep as a local church but not with selfish or boastful motives. We must not seek to serve ourselves or seek personal glory through these traits like the Corinthians, but we must display them with selfless and sacrificial intent filled with love. So then what does it look like for Cornerstone to display love? Well, there are many expressions of love that a church body can display. And Paul has given us a thorough definition of love through a, a list of descriptions of the many virtues in the rest of this chapter. But I want to leave you with one simple guideline on displaying Christ's love as his body. The guideline comes straight from verse 5. Love does not seek its own. See, there, though there isn't one word that can completely capture the meaning of agape, this, this selfless love, I believe a close description of true sacrificial love is the word selflessness. Selflessness describes the essence of agape love, how it does not seek its own, for true love is truly selfless. 
So then what does selflessness look like in the body of Christ as seen by the outside world looking in? Earlier this year in July, my family took a road trip to Boston and Maine, okay, Boston, Massachusetts, and Portland, Maine, mainly to eat some lobster rolls. And if there were uh, additional time, we looked at uh, historic monuments and historic places. But there was one thing in particular about New England that really stood out to me. It was the people that I interacted with. They were a little bit cold. Now, I realize that generalization about a region is not always true in all cases. And I know many of you from England uh, are very friendly and, and very kind. And I hope you disagree with my observations. And I genuinely hope that I'm wrong and that you are right. And please hear me well. I'm not here to malign people from New England. But my observation was affirmed by many of those who are from that area. By and large, there was an observable lack of patience and kindness in the grocery stores, in the restaurants, uh, and in the hotels, and even on the roads. My first initial thoughts were, oh, I hope the churches are not like this. I hope the churches display a more selfless uh, patience and kindness uh, that, that Paul describes. Now, when it comes to friendliness and kindness, my experience of the North was like night and day compared to my experience in the South. What I experienced in places like the Carolinas, Georgia, and Florida was that people notice you, and they actually strike a conversation with you in stores when you're waiting in line in the grocery stores. People actually yield to you at four-way stops and wave you in even if you got there later. And they stop to smile and wave at your children and comment at them. And some of the most friendliest people I talked to in Maine were visitors from Florida. <laughs> and now your experience may vary, but my hope and my prayer for Cornerstone is that we display selfless love that is more like my experience in the South than the North. A love that is patient, a love that is kind, a love that is selfless. But not just a skin-deep, surface-level friendship that is often too common in the South, but love that seeks the best interests of others, a love that is so deep and contagious that others would be drawn to us because of our love for one another. I pray that Cornerstone would prioritize to display Christ-like love in this world. So when visitors come through those doors, that they would say that there is a palpable spirit of love in this place. I pray that those visitors will be noticed and will be greeted by half the church or more as Kwati and Abuk greeted me in Daniel Sullivan's Sunday school class when I was a visitor in this church. And if you are a shy and maybe introverted and the thought of talking to new people requires mustering up the energy, Oh, may the Lord give you strength to prioritize those selfless greetings and conversations in order for you to display a loving spirit of Christ here at Cornerstone. Teenagers, this goes for you too. Just because you're younger, it is not an excuse for you to not introduce yourself to new families, to both adults and children of all ages. Remember what Paul said to Timothy. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example 
for other believers in speech, in conduct, in love. If they have children, I pray that you will notice them and get to know them by name. As Teresa Renneker wrote individual letters to our children and came over to read books for us at bedtime while April and I were struggling to unpack the parsonage. And I pray that if there are new members or people that you don't know well in Cornerstone, that you bring them into your lives and invite them for dinner and into your community group as the Nyes and as the Kates brought us in and invited us. And April and I were just newbies at Cornerstone. And I pray that when trials come through, a death of a loved one or a broken marriage, that you would step up like Rosie and John and Chris Connell and care for those who are hurting, ministering to them by sacrificially giving your time. I pray that if any of you are struggling with a particular sin, that you would know that you would be accepted and forgiven through your repentance and confession in this loving fellowship. There will be those who will walk alongside you to help you overcome your sin as the Spirit of God works in you and as the body of Christ comes around you to minister to you and walk alongside with you. You see, love is a human need which we were all created to experience. As God's image bearers, we were created to be loved. We were created to experience and express the deep, deep love of our Heavenly Father. It is what everyone desires. But the world, which does not know the true love of God, will go and look for this love in all the wrong places. That is why you, the church, who have seen, heard, and known the true selfless and sacrificial love of God through Jesus Christ, you must display it before the world. The world is desperate to know what true love is. It is a world that is hurting and is seeking love through distorted forms of sexual perversion. It is a world that is confused and is redefining love based on how each sin a sinful individual feels. And it's a world that is watching you to see what makes your love different than what they experience. May love be the mark of Cornerstone Evangelical Free Church, a love that is patient, a love that is kind, and a love that is selfless. May the sacrificial love of Christ be the priority you display before the world so that when those around you see you, they will know that you are Christians, not by your influential speech, not by your spiritual power, nor by your perceived generosity, but by your love. Jesus said in John 13, 35, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He gave us this command as a mandate because as followers of Christ, our responsibility is to be his representatives here on earth. And if we must sum up the whole Bible, all that God has revealed to us here in the word of God, in one word, that word would be love. Why? It is because God displayed the greatest love known to man by sending us his only son, the Son of God came down from the throne of glory and gave himself up for us selflessly to be our atoning sacrifice for our sin as he suffered, 
bled and died on that cross. This he accomplished because he loves. And anyone who repents and turns to him will be forgiven of his sins. The greatest love known to us has been displayed for us here at the cross of Jesus Christ, where the wrath of God for our sin was taken upon the Son in our stead, and where the mercy of God has been shown for sinners like you and me who do not deserve such pardon. It is his love that leads us to repentance. It is his love that holds us fast in our walk with him. So to those who have given their lives to follow and obey him, he calls us to love him and to love one another as he loved us. But to those who have never known the all-satisfying and the most precious and selfless love known to man, Jesus calls you to come to the feet of the cross, to turn from your sins and to enter into a life of fulfillment and purpose which only he can give you forever. So if that is you this morning, behold the cross of Christ where his blood was shed for the forgiveness of your sin and enter into a personal relationship with him as you trust in him and walk with him by faith. I close this passage, or I close this sermon with a passage reading from 1 John 4. For this is God's word to us. And I don't think I can put it any better than the way Apostle, uh, the Apostle John wrote it down for us. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. We love because he first loved us. Church, we must love one another because he first loved us. Love is the supreme mark of our identity as followers of Christ. May Cornerstone Church be marked in this world, not by the display of influential speech, not by your spiritual prowess, nor by the display of perceived philanthropy. But may everyone in Northern Virginia, everyone in Washington, D.C., and across the country know you by your love. The gospel without love is dead. So love one another as Christ loved us. Love one another. Let's pray.
Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, the King eternal, the King of creation. You alone are holy. You alone are worthy of our praise. Who are we, we who are vile sinners, that you, the King of glory, would come and die for us so that we may be redeemed and be called the children of the God Most High. Lord, you are love. And it is because of your love that you saved us through the life, death, and the resurrection of your Son. And we, your children, worship you and will follow you all the days of our lives. So empower us to display your love as we love one another in the same way you have loved us. May we display Christ's selfless love as a church body so that others may see our love and turn to you to give you the glory. We thank you and we love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.